Well, hello everyone and welcome to another episode of GUCast. Uh, this is Renu Epen, urologist at the Peter McCallum Cancer Centre in Melbourne. Uh, we have a fantastic and topical episode uh, for you today. Uh, I'm joined, uh, as always, by my fantastic co-host, Professor Declan Murphy. Welcome, Declan. Hello, Renu. <laughs> How are you today? All good. <laughs> now, Declan, I know that this topic is of great importance to you. Um, manals or male-only panels, manferences, these are terms that really first took off as t- as hashtags on social media about a decade ago. But unfortunately, gender imbalance um, and male-dominated conferences still remain uh, an issue today in several fields of science, and, and urology is no exception. Um, and, uh, you know, we've been prompted to do this podcast because we've had a fantastic uh, paper published uh, in European Urology just last week, um, and you were one of the authors on it. Yeah, and it's uh, it's always uh, nice to highlight a paper in our biggest journal, Impact Factor Over 18, but because um, uh, this paper, this systematic review on manals and gender diversity in urology conferences has been accepted by this big journal as a great yeah. opportunity to uh, have one of our most important topics that uh, we're never, um, never, never can give enough airtime to and feature this paper today. Absolutely. I mean, there's always a lot of discussion around this issue, but it is fantastic to have a paper to discuss data. actual figures, Hard data, data. That's absolutely, the and yeah. uh, and we've got a great lineup uh, today. We've got, in fact, three of the four of the authors uh, of the paper, including the first author uh, that you're going to introduce, uh, Declan. Thanks, Renu. Yes, so it is a great uh, pleasure to welcome our uh, guest, first author on this Manals paper published in European Urology this week, uh, guest and friend and colleague, Dr. Jeremy Tio at the Chinese University of Hong Kong. And Jeremy's joining us on Zoom from Hong Kong today. Hello, Jeremy. Hi, Jackson. And hi, Renu. How are you? Welcome, Jeremy. Great to have you. Yeah, it's really great to have you. And uh, Renu's given us a great intro to the topic and why it's important. And of course, it's a big deal getting a publication in European Urology anyway. But I think it's particularly impressive that European Urology have chosen to take an interest in in this really important topic um, and to highlight the paper. But first, um, can we go over to you and, and ask you, first of all, you know, the, the why uh, you put this paper together uh, and then tell us a little bit about your findings in this systematic review? Yeah, sure. So, so basically, um, one year ago, um, you know, I was aware of about Manu, but I wasn't taking it very seriously. Um, but then during that time, I was actually involved in a meeting, and um, just a few days before the meeting, then the organizer told me that they didn't have to change it; they need to add in more female faculty. And that is really the time when it became, you know, it became more personal. And I really want to know whether that the situation is that bad and whether there are ways to correct it, it is really the case. And that's really, you know, the moment when I decided to do something about it. So what I did is basically trying to review all the conferences and the webinars in the past year that were organized by the major urological associations or societies. And uh, in the end, um, during the one year period, uh, we actually reviewed a total of 285 meeting sessions and uh, we tried to look into two main things. Number one is the pr- proportion of manual, which means 100% um, um, chairs, moderators and speakers. And we also tried to look into the mean number, uh, mean percentage of male faculty within the conference uh, sessions. And uh, we try to look for differences across the societies, the specialties, and more importantly, we try to make a comparison between male and female faculty and see whether we can actually 
um, have any hints on whether there's any so-called gender uh, disparity that is appearing. So basically, among the 285 uh, meeting sessions, uh, we found that manos were present in 63.5% of them, which to me is really quite shocking. It's a quite a high number. And uh, about 86.9% uh, of all the faculty were male. And uh, basically, when I entered the data myself, I realized that there is really a trend. You know, certain societies might have a, a trend to really invite male faculty. And some societies, they tend to have a more balanced type of gender representation. I really feel that, you know, um, if the society or the organizing committee is willing to do something about it, then uh, certainly, you know, a, a much better gender balance can be, can be achieved throughout the, the meetings. And um, one of the arguments that, you know, people often say is, you know, in, in urology, historically, um, it's kind of, you know, more male dominant in that sense. But then uh, a mere description of the percentage of male or male faculty doesn't really mean anything. So in our paper, we'll also try to make some stratification according to the academic merits of the faculty. So we want to know whether the opportunity to speak is really based on their academic achievements. So basically, we look into their number of publications, citations, H index, etc. And we realize that um, in among the faculty within the lower quartile, male faculty tend to have more opportunities than female faculty. And with increasing um, number of publications, citations, and H index, then the difference became insignificant. So my interpretation is that faculty, male faculty in, in, in the lower quartile, which probably means that they're at their early stage of career, they tend to receive more opportunities. And with more experiences, with more academic output, then female faculty will receive more opportunities afterwards. So that's how I interpret how I interpret results. Very interesting. Jeremy, can I ask, I mean, you, you've summarised your findings beautifully, um, but also one thing I noticed was that even you, you said that about 87% of the faculty were men, um, but also the, the faculty that were men were more likely to be urologists and the faculty that were women were more likely to be non-urologists or nursing staff or allied health um, from allied health disciplines. What, what's your take on that statistic? Well, well, I certainly think it's something that is in our mind, perhaps to a certain extent subconsciously as well. Mm -hmm. We tend to, we might invite more faculty when we are thinking about urology or urooncology or robotic surgery, for example. And when we want to invite a gynecologist or a nurse, then we tend to think about female, female faculty. So yeah. you know, that's the problem, isn't it? So we, we, it's something in our mind, perhaps in many people's mind, due to our culture or historical things. But then if we observe such a problem here, uh, when the numbers are so kind of shocking, it means that we need to take an extra step, at least to have a you know, very conscious decision on who to invite. Do you have any criteria? What's your optimal ratio, male to female faculty? Are there any ways to, you know, in, in increase the number of faculty for female um, um, faculty without affecting opportunities in male, if that's a concern at all, et cetera, et cetera. I think, you know, there are many ways that we can, you know, take into account 
and hopefully achieve a more balanced, you know, gender representation. I think you raised a very important point. It's really a subconscious bias, isn't it? It's not something that people intentionally do. It's just there that's under the surface that underlies the organization of a lot of these conferences. Um, and I think that's why papers such as yours is very important because it brings the issue into light. Um, and it means that when you are organizing a conference or when you're agreeing to be on a panel, then this should be at the forefront of your mind in a conscious way. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, one of the things that our paper highlight is that societies, associations, really, you know, they really have the power to kind of change this situation quickly. And I think it's not only about societies, but associations, but in many things, for example, in journals, the Lancet Group, they have really adopted a diversity policy. You know, all the editors have agreed not to participate in manuals. And, you know, it's really, you know, from, from leaders, we really need to take an active role in order to make a change for people to follow, isn't it? We have the obligation to do it and really hope that this can, you know, our paper can really highlight this and hopefully people will take seriously. Jeremy, you've had a, an amazing reaction on Twitter uh, over the past week to this. You've put out a, a lovely thread. We'll put the link in the show notes here that summarized the paper in European Urology. And you've had fantastic reaction from not just the urology community, but others. But there have been a few people who've pointed out things like, for example, well, come on, the workforce is so predominantly male. What do you expect, really? Um, and so I understand why people would say that. But your comment just now about how societies and um, journals and meetings and so on, need to take a lead, would surely address that. What, what we've done in meetings, we've certainly organised in the past five years, um, is to say, okay, let's look at the balance up front before we fill the panel and fill the chair positions and the invited faculty and strategically make room. Because I think that's the only way to address that point that people make, okay, it's 85 or 90% men, but how are we going to inspire and encourage young trainees to come into urology? How are we going to make it more attractive, a more attractive specialty for talented young women who want to do surgery? We had Tim O'Brien from BAUS on last year um, when he was becoming BAUS president saying that he was building this in as, a, as an important strategy for BAUS is to make the specialty more attractive. And I think we can't wait until the proportion is 50-50 or even 40-60. You have to make it a more attractive specialty so do you have tips for these societies or, or a response to those who say well come on what do you expect it's all men in the specialty we we can't just make a number i i think we personally do have to make a number and say no no we're going to make it 50 50 on this panel or or whatever to try and and change the the culture uh, so that we attract more talented young women to to come into urology well, yeah, I think the first thing is, you know, whether we recognize it as a potential problem, which I certainly think so, because I think 63.5% being manual is really quite shocking. But I understand, you know, the reactions from some people saying that, you know, historically it's male dominant, therefore it's likely to be the case. Uh, you know, I don't think we should, you know, keep on arguing along the way, you know, but given that the numbers are so high, at least it shows some concerns that um, manual can be a big problem. And so um, societies, associations, they really need to look into their own field, their own members. They really need to know about their ratio. They really need to have a mechanism or some kind of discussion within their committee on um, the optimal ratio instead of just letting the subconscious thing keep going 
non. So what we're asking for is not, you know, not well, at least to me, not really the exact ratio, 50-50 for all, but within your society, you need to have, to, you have some discussions or some mechanism um, to ensure that a, an optimal gender representation can be achieved in your own society. And I think, you know, it's something that is just, you know, we just need to make a decision or make a commitment. And if we commit to it, then we do it. So I hope people will just, you know, think seriously about it and see whether they want to do something about it. I think that's really important because it, we know that the representation of women in uh, kind of areas of science, medicine, technology are, are increasing, but that's not necessarily reflected when it comes to positions of leadership, um, uh, representation in conferences, and there's there's that bottleneck. Um, and I think consciously making that effort to increase the representation of women in these positions is naturally going to be encouraging to other women who want to get there. Um, so I think that's a that's a really um, important thing. And Declan, you've been a big proponent of this uh, for many years now. And I've, you know, I've seen you um, say, uh, you know, I'd love to participate, but I just cannot participate in an all male panel. I've seen you do that many times. And I think that's the example that that people need to set. Um, one particular tweet I just wanted to draw an attention to is that it was a very important question. You know, what's your advice to young male urologists who want to get that, you know, that kind of um, promotional opportunity, but what's your advice to them who want to support women as well? And I would say that, um, you know, participating, participating in an all-male panel is not necessarily good promotion. Um, but Jeremy, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think so. So firstly, um, participating in manual, it may not be a good thing. Um, if you really take an active role in achieving gender equality, it also, you know, people really look up to you, isn't it? And to a certain extent, if you look into long run, if you are able to, you know, help people who might be more vulnerable and you try to improve diversity, I think at the end of the day, we'll have a better world, isn't it? So this time you help them, but you receive help to it. So you know, don't worry about that single opportunity that you're going to miss at this juncture, but look in at a broad perspective. And I hope, you know, people who have a, a bigger vision than what they see at this right moment. That's fantastic, Jeremy. Thank you so much for putting the spotlight on this issue. We all really appreciate it. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Yeah, totally right. And great for Jeremy to join us um, from Hong Kong. Uh, we are doing, as we said, this podcast in two chunks. So what we're going to do uh, next is invite two of the uh, co-authors. And I must say, Jeremy put together a fantastic authorship group for this paper. It was really, really enjoyable to work with them on it. And there was some very passionate um, comments as we drafted the manuscript and dealt with the reviews with European Neurology. And it's a great pleasure uh, to next go and welcome two of our um, uh, very well-known uh, international key opinion leaders in, in urology, uh, two fantastic females that we're going to welcome next to GUcast. Absolutely, Declan. It's such a pleasure to have these two women back uh, on GUcast. And, and I think the last time we had them on, they were on together and we were talking about the challenges of COVID. That was, it was such a fascinating, a fascinating discussion and, and a great pleasure to welcome them back. They need no introduction, but uh, we have Maria Rabel, who uh, is the head of the Euro-Oncology Unit at Hospital Clinic at University of Barcelona, and also Stacey Loeb, urologist and prostate cancer researcher at NYU, and also radio host of Men's Health Show on Sirius XM. Uh, welcome, ladies. Maria, Stacey, lovely to have you with us. 
Thank you very much. It's also, I think that our pleasure, I show my pleasure to be with you again in this radio show. So it's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, it was a year, was it a year ago? I it think? was, yeah. It I was. remember it was shocking listening to both of them because both of their uh, cities and countries were ravaged by COVID, but especially the cities, New York and oh, Barcelona, yeah. it was total panic mode. I remember Stacey describing how she was basically like a internal medicine resident trying to yeah. manage these COVID situations. And here we are a year later and, you know, plus a Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, Stacey, how, how are things over there? Have you, have, you've, have you finished your secondment to the COVID wards? Are you back doing neurology? mainstream now we are back thank <laughs> you yes thankfully we are back but you know we are still playing catch up everything was shut down for a long time cancer screenings went down surgeries went down so there's a lot of delays in care that we're catching up with on top of new diagnoses and new issues and also we've just had a lot of staff shortages throughout the pandemic uh, many of the uh, personnel from the hospital have been busy working on the vaccine clinics. So the urology clinics have had less staffing. So it's harder to make up the backlog. Same with research. You know, there's a lot of delays in the clinical trial recruitment and all kinds of research barriers during covid a lot of the funding opportunities in the United States were not offered this past year. So funding for cancer research has really dried up. So I think we're just seeing an ongoing, uh, you know, tail end of this whole thing that Absolutely. will probably last for years. Wow. Yeah, lots of work to do. Uh, and and talking about lots of work to do, that's that's what we've been talking about, this concept of manals or male-only panels. And um, both Stacey and Maria and Declan, you were all co-authors on this paper um, that was published in European Neurology. Uh, Maria, well, you were senior author. Um, so maybe we'll start with you, Maria, and, and can you just tell us what really is the importance of, of, of a paper like this um, and, and what are the main take-home messages? Well, uh, honestly, I think that there are a lot of things important in a paper like this. First of all, is to have a paper like this in a journal like European Urology. So I would say that it's a, it's a good point to have it in the main journal. And uh, I think that the, the main point is to create awareness. So uh, all of us uh, speak about it. For example, on Twitter, I'm sure we have exchanged tweets a uh, uh, lot of time, uh, even with you, Declan look, this is a manual or this is unfair or I don't like, for example, that all the faculty of this meeting is, uh, all of them are male. So we have been discussing about that on Twitter or even when we met in a, in a conference. But uh, just to put in numbers and to give it a real name mm-hmm. yeah, and to publish it, not just only chatting, but to say that it's something that you can write about and that, that you can put numbers and to know exactly that the uh, urological associations are not doing a good job. Yeah. It's just like put a mirror in front of all of us. Mm. So I think that the, the, the most important thing of this paper is probably that uh, creates awareness that in urology, there's a lot of things to do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you're right about that. It really does put a mirror in front of us. Um, and we've got 
some hard data to to show us that this is very much still an issue for us. And Maria, just just um, continuing with you, what are your recommendations to say conference organisers and um, you know uh, societies um, in urology to try and circumvent this issue in the future? Well, I I think that the <clears throat> the first that uh, should be done is to increase the presence of female in the organizers, in the steering committees. I think that the lack of female representation in the steering committees or in the organizing committees or even on the boards of the societies is the main reason for not having female faculty in the in the Congress. I can tell you, for example, now I'm the president of the Catalan Society. And what I do is just to be sure that our meetings or our sessions uh, are always balanced. And I tell them, look, uh, we should do it because if we do so, and if we do it well, then people will learn that this is normal. So I think that societies has the responsibility uh, of taking care of that. And we need more female in the organizing committees. Once we have solved this, then probably the female presence will increase. As I am doing, for example, in my society, that I am the one saying, look, uh, this meeting is not good. We need more female presence. So if you are there, then you can promote. And um, it's true that uh, you can say, well, well, we can discuss this uh, later on because now I was... uh, almost jumping to meritocracy. And, and I'm sure that we will discuss uh, uh, afterwards. So, uh, But I think that uh, we need to increase the presence on the boards, on the organizing committees, and this will help us to increase the presence of female faculty. That's an important point, isn't it, Declan? Because it's not just about having uh, women in conferences. I think you need to take it a step before that, like Maria was saying, have women on these organisational committees, leadership roles, steering committees, and that drives a conscious effort to improve the presence of women in conferences. Definitely one solution because that will not just deal with the mantle issue, it'll deal with other issues about encouraging the brightest, smartest young women to come into surgery and come into urology by creating a better culture from the very top. Um, but another thing we spoke about, especially for the conferences, is, is you know, they, I think they should build in almost like a checklist um, uh, on their organising, you know, so it should be an agenda item on, on the monthly meeting, planning next year's whatever meeting to say, tick, gender diversity. So it's actually there in front of them so they can say, have we looked at this? What is the balance? Uh, and so on. Yeah. Um, because you can have have an, uh, I, ca- I sometimes call it like an accidental mantle. Um, and I've been caught on them before where if someone's putting together a conference, they invite you to come and, and do a talk and it's, you know, reputable people, friends, it's a, it's a, it's a meeting you want to go to because you're going to uh, learn from it yourself. And then you turn up on the day uh, because you hadn't seen the program or you, f- you find out the week before when the final program is sent out, you're on a mantle. You're caught. You're caught on a mantle. Um, and because I've become so aware of it in the last years, I, I, I'm very horrified when I suddenly, I'm on a bloody mantle. Um, and someone's going to tweet it out and tag me and go hashtag mantle in the same way as I do. And as Maria, yeah, we, 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 we call these out when we see them. But you can get caught on one accidentally because you've been invited at the start. You don't know who else has been invited uh, on the thing. But I think if you had a checklist built in by the organising committees, and again, that would come from the top, um, usually by having 
better split on the organizing committee as maria said but even if you, with or without a, a good split if 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 people had said it's part of our strategy in the eau in uh, usans to say gender diversity and it's an agenda item so that regardless of who's running the meeting they'll say okay let's look at that oh it's 90% men uh, you know so they they become more aware of it as they're putting it together and then they can they can get it and the message will eventually get through Absolutely. Um, Stacey, let's bring you in. Um, you, you've, you know, you're in a position of, of leadership. You know, I, I think you're, you're an inspiration to a lot of young female urologists. You have a, a great presence on social media. What's your take on this and, and uh, how can we do better? Well, thank you so much for the question and for having me. I was definitely very interested in this project when Jeremy approached me. I remember actually a few years ago, I was at a conference in Mexico, and not only was I the only female speaker, I was actually the only female at the entire conference. So when we took the photo of everyone at the conference, I felt like I was in one of those Where's Waldo books or something like that. But I think that we all need to be very intentional and thoughtful about, about ensuring gender diversity and just diversity in general, including more underrepresented minorities. And by having greater diversity, we will see fresh perspectives and new ideas and that this is very important to advance the science. I think by working with all different people from different backgrounds and different perspectives is really helped me to learn a lot of new things and see things in different ways. So uh, this is critical for a lot of reasons. It's critical to expand our workforce. We need more diverse role models for young health professionals. Uh, Greater representation is also great for patients and it's great for research so that we understand the unmet needs of our population and have different perspectives into how to make our field better. Yeah, it's an important point, isn't it? It's not just about, you know, giving women visibility. It's it's really important to advance the specialty, um, you know, diversity in, in all matters. And that, that reminds me of something that uh, Tim O'Brien, our friend Tim O'Brien, said last year when he became BAUS president uh, and in his opening speech, and we had him on the podcast soon after to talk about it, he made it one of his missions to uh, address this issue of gender diversity in the British uh, system. Uh, and he made this comment that I'm going to play for you now. Maybe we need to spend more time trying to understand what would make urology the natural home for talented women who want to do surgery. So I think that's just what we were speaking to, isn't it? If you have that sort of leadership at the top of an organisation that are going to build it into their vision over the following few years, surely there'll be a trickle-down effect and we'll see some benefits. But I like that idea that if you address the mantle issue, it, it, it's almost like just a canary in the coal mine for other cultural issues in our specialty and workforce planning, even, uh, as Stacey said, then we're going to benefit all the way through the whole specialty if we just address it at the top. But I think you just have to change the culture at the very top and keep punching the bruise about these issues, about manals, about making sure you've got appropriate gender diversity in every aspect of it, selection, etc., etc. Um, otherwise, we're going to just spiral down to this, you know, worsening situation with a, an unattractive specialty. To be frank, 
Absolutely. And, and Stacey, what do you think in terms of, uh, you know, young women who are up and coming in the specialty or in all areas of science, technology, medicine, you know, how important is it to see other women in leadership positions and on panels and giving plenary talks and being in, like Maria said, organisational um, and uh, sort of steering committee roles? I think it's really important to have role models. I really didn't have any female mentors or role models early in my career, and I wish that I did. And I'm trying to pay it forward by providing mentorship to a lot of young women who are in high school, university, uh, you know, even very on early on in life, just to hopefully increase the ranks in surgery and in urology. Um, But yeah, no, I think it's very important. And I think this is a very important area of research. You know, sometimes people have asked me, like, what is the point of some of these studies where you're highlighting a problem, but it doesn't actually create a, a solution in itself? But in a way, it does. You know, I really agree with Maria's point that without documenting the extent of the problem and having the statistics that we don't have the level of awareness that is needed to actually create solutions. So I think this is an important first step. And I'm glad to see that this was accepted in such a high impact Mm. journal and has been getting a lot of discussion online. So this is just the first step, but it's, it's coming. Well, it did get a lot of discussion online um, and, uh, most of the tweets were fantastic, actually, really. They were really saying, yeah, great for calling this yeah. out. And I could see it spread beyond urology and lots of other people were getting involved. But, of course, there were a few people who made um, some other points. And some of these are really familiar points that we deal with in the world of gender diversity. Um, for example, this tweet from uh, Dr. Ricardo uh, Daher, or Daher in, in Venezuela, uh, in response to Jeremy's uh, tweet when he tweeted out the main paper. He said, this is completely absurd. If the urology world gender would be split 50-50 or even more in favor of women, this would actually make sense, but it isn't. The lack of seriousness in this kind of, quote, investigation is what makes the world a, a non-trusting, biased joke, etc., etc. So, you know, that, that familiar thing of... Strong words. Oh, yeah, <laughs> come on, it's, it's not 50-50 in the workforce, so why are you even pointing out that it should be you know, uh, uh, the, the, a different split in these sorts of manners. But, you know, uh, how, do, how do we react to that, Renu? I'm sure uh, Maria is going to tell me very strongly what she thinks. Yeah, I, I'd be very interested to see what Maria has to say. But, to, you know, wh- one thing that's been put out there is that that Manal bingo card, you know, the, oh, the yeah. typical yeah. excuses for why a Manal has happened. We'll put um, that in the show notes. <laughs> yes. I love that picture. Yeah. It's, uh, Maria, what are your thoughts? I mean, I, I, you know, I think the, these are some of the myths that we have to debunk. It's absurd, he says. Well, <laughs> I'm not going to be as Latin as I should be, but uh, I will try to, to, to mix and to be, uh, no, I, I understand. I understand the point. So first, you cannot say that research is absurd. You cannot say that a problem that already exists is absurd. So uh, this means that uh, you don't understand that there's a problem. So uh, I think that absurd is a word that shouldn't be there. But the concept that if we are not 50-50, why do we want to be 50-50 in a a Congress is an argument that has been said for a long time. Because in urology by now, more or less, the numbers are 
13%, for example, in Europe is a little bit less. In America is around, uh, I think that you are in 11, uh, more or less, Stacey. But this is not the question. The question is that we are creating an speciality that it's not attractive for women because all the positions are already occupied by men. So if we want to convince the young female urologists that they deserve a place in leadership positions or giving a talk in an international meeting, they should understand that they belong to them. So as a first step, we should increase the presence of female to attract them and to act as a role models. Then we will be able to find some kind of balance and to increase the numbers in urology. And then everything will work alone. And for example, there was another comment that was uh, really really nice uh, coming from a gyno uh, telling that uh, he's living in a specialty that it's occupied 90% by female doctors. And I tell to him, yes, you're right. And, and, and he told me, and I don't feel bad. And I think, yes, you're right. But the question is that on the leadership positions, even in your specialty that you are 90% female, the leadership positions are still occupied by men. Very interesting so, point. Uh, uh, because it's true, there's a paper saying yeah. that even in gyno, That's uh, right. all the leadership and full professors are still male. So uh, the, the problem is that we need to educate not only us, but uh, we are people with a lot of influence in our society. We need to educate society that everyone should have the same opportunity despite of gender, ethnicity, race, religion, wherever. And uh, as a physician, as a people of influence, if we are able to do that, at least we can try to change our society. So I think that it's a, it's a must to do it. Fantastic. Well said, Maria. Stacey, uh, one of the things that I think is an opportunity, if you're a conference organiser and you're looking at this and you have a very gender-aware um, uh, philosophy, as you might look at this and say, well, I don't have somebody very experienced in um, BPH, um, you know, available to speak in this plenary. Um, I have three old guys like me uh, who can talk about whatever I'm talking about. Um, but I could get a fourth guy because he's quite experienced and he's a mate of mine. But isn't there a great opportunity um, to say, well, here's a, a brand new young trainee. Um, she's done a, a fellowship in BPH. She's only got one or two publications, but she's, you know, really in tune with this. And she's a young female um, and not well known. I can put her on my plenary session along with the old guys. Um, and it's a fantastic opportunity for her to shine, for me to address my uh, gender diversity um, strategy or philosophy. And guess what? It also is going to inspire maybe some of those younger female trainees in the audience to say, oh, I'm gonna, I want to be like her, you know? Isn't that what we have to do? Because we won't be able to, in every session, say, well, here's people of, you know, very senior stature who are well known. But we have a great opportunity to disrupt that and say, well, let's get this millennial in here she's really smart and a good communicator um not well established yet but that's how you get them established you know, push them right in same for the chair position we talked about this earlier with uh, jeremy um you know rather than have two old male chairs two old fellas like me you could have an old fella like me who's very experienced at chairing a meeting 
And then a, a really young, fresh-faced young trainee, maybe she's been in charge of the training program, so she's well-known, but no experience at chairing at an international meeting. And, you know, this is great. She gets mentored into how to chair it well. I learn what's important for young trainees, and the optics are brilliant because young trainees will say, well, look, uh, yeah, so-and-so got a, a gig there. Uh, she's up there chairing a session at the EAU poster session on, on, on prostate cancer. So uh, how, how do you feel about that? How are we going to break the mold? Because you have to do things that are a little bit different different to, to, to help push the, the younger female trainees uh, through and change the visibility, change the optics. Yeah, that's a really good point. And actually, that highlights just one thing in the paper that was very interesting. And it also responds to some of the comments that you mentioned earlier from Twitter. Basically, uh, one section of the paper looked at male faculty who were in the first quartile or the lower quartile of publications and H index, and they had significantly higher numbers of sessions than the female faculty in the same quartile. So I think it would be important to point out to the commenter on Twitter and in this general line of conversation that the young females are getting opportunities to be part of the panel and to be on the faculty. And, you know, us millennials are not all bad and there might just be some <laughs> interesting new ideas that come out of the mix. So I think, uh, you know, the time is ripe to hand over the reins and get, get some new faces and some new ideas into the field. Absolutely. I mean, sorry, may I add something? Look, I, I, I perfectly agree with your idea. I'm a, I'm a little bit older than, than Stacey. So <laughs> I can, I can tell you that, uh, uh, I'm sure that at my age, uh, you can find uh, a lot of, uh, or at least not a lot of, but some female neurologists that can do a great job at the age of Stacey. I'm sure that the numbers are even bigger. So, uh, uh, I was able to organize a meeting for three years, the female is future, with all the surgeons being female and all the speakers being female. And uh, we were able to do that with Franco Gabuardi, talking in all the disciplines, BBH, erectile dysfunction, uro-oncology, uh, whatever, doing surgeries. And uh, we were able to build a whole meeting, huh? And uh, if you give me, I can build to you another meeting with all female speakers. So at that moment, uh, <clears throat> we were said, look, how, how could it be a, 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 a meeting with all the surgeons, female surgeons? Look, you have gone a lot of meetings with all the surgeons being male <laughs> surgeons and you have said nothing. <laughs> so, that, and, and, in our meeting, I have to tell you that all the moderators were male. So it was not a, I don't know which will be the name, a female? No, I, I <laughs> Which will be the name? I, I don't know. But no, no, no. All the moderators were male. So it was a, a meeting that 50 50 uh, female and, and male. And uh, But the only thing is that all the talks and all the surgeries were, were done by female surgeons and female speakers. But if you can build a, a, a meeting, I'm sure that you can find someone for your round table and you can find not even young, but you can find even seniors or 
not as senior perhaps as me, but senior as Stacy, <laughs> Stacy senior. Ah, you are quite young, Stacy, but <laughs> senior. So is Maria. Absolutely. <laughs> I, th- I thought they were the same age, isn't it? No. no, you're absolutely right. I mean, you can't be what you can't see. And I think it's important to break that cycle and, and you know, promote visibility for women in an important way. And I, I think what, what I've really taken away from all of this, to, you know, all three of you who are authors on this paper is that, you know, striking and maintaining gender balance, it takes work. You know, just having a good intention of promoting women is not enough. You know, you need uh, policies that really kind of draw out diversity um, and this effort it needs to be repeated year after year conference after conference um, so I think that's been some fantastic yep. this um, is the start of it come on absolutely uh, Maria and Stacey thank you so much for joining us Maria you look like you're about to say something did I interrupt you oh no no no, no. and I think that not all not only on the on the on the meetings eh? we need to increase the presence on the boards of journals that's right yeah on uh, uh, steering committees on the boards of societies. So I think that there's a, a lot of job to do because uh, it's a responsibility. Absolutely. Uh, thank you, ladies, so much for joining us. Uh, we wants to speak a little bit. Stacey has put up a hand. We can see her on Zoom. Stacey. I was just going to add that I think uh, it is very important to continue advocacy through social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, we published on the use of the hashtag, I look like a urologist, which during the first four-year period had nearly 4,000 tweets. And there was a lot of really important advocacy through that hashtag related to mantles, as well as really other important issues in order to uh, have a um, friendly, diverse workplace. There were tweets that we highlighted from some great urologists in Australia regarding uh, more family-friendly policies at conferences, having breastfeeding facilities. Mm -hmm. There's been a lot of great discussion as well as posts about opportunities for women and for underrepresented minorities through the social media. So I think that by advocating for these issues and by sharing new opportunities and ideas through these large networks. That's one really important way to drive change. Totally right. Well said. Absolutely. Uh, again, we, we hope that we'll be able to see you uh, both in person in the near future. Um, but for now, uh, it'll have to be uh, virtual <laughs> means only. But thank you, gu- thank you guys both for joining us today. Let's hope we're not talking to them this time next year, oh. still in the middle of COVID. Let's hope. <laughs> And that's all we have time for today. It was a pleasure to bring you this episode of GUcast. We will see you next time.